Hello and welcome to the Square State Sandlot Podcast. On this episode, we sat down with Eric Pauley, current sideline reporter for our Wyoming Cowboys football team. You can catch him on the home broadcast on YOVision, located at GoYO.com. He is very gracious with his time, so we broke this into two parts. In the first part, we discuss his journey to his current position, the mystique of college football both as a media member and former player, changes within the sport and where he thinks it ends up, and his and Kyle's Pittsburgh Steelers. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Square State Sandlot. I'm Kyle Gilmore. I'm joined, as always, with Bill Montoya. Uh, but we have, a, we have a third today that we're very excited about. Um, we've been wanting to bring you on for a while. Uh, just very excited, obviously, being another local boy. Um, I was just pumped to have you on, Eric. Uh, if you would, just give us a quick rundown kind of uh, who you are, what you're doing, um, I guess what got you to where you are. All right. Um, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, I, I want to start by telling you guys, I think what you're doing is really cool. Like, I can't tell you how many times, um, even in like the last five years, somebody's been like, you should start a podcast, or, or somebody's been like, we should start a podcast, and then the follow-through is never there, and you guys come back every week, yeah. and you're generating new content. And so often when people start their own podcast or they start their own, you know, hyper local blogs or something like that, often what it turns out is like um, they're just like regurgitating, uh, you know, like what the national media is already talking about. Right. What national sports media is already doing. You guys take your, your own hot takes on stuff. Right. And, and kind of hit it from the, the local stance. And I, I appreciate that about you guys. So I think what you're doing is really cool. Um, for me, uh, I mean, I got started in media. um you know, my first job, job, right, where I actually got paid to do it was was radio, you know. Uh, but previous to that, um, I, I tell people this all the time, and some people are like, you know, maybe you shouldn't tell people that because they think I should be embarrassed about it. But uh, I got my start in doing play-by-play by uh, doing video games. Um, really? I was, the, uh, I was the voice of the World Series of video games for Call of Duty for 2007. And so I traveled around, and uh, we did... Uh, like Louisville and Dallas, Fort Worth, and all these things, and finally somebody was like, you, know, "You got a you got a pretty deep voice. Why don't you want to try to do something with this?" And I was like, "All right, well, let's try to do something with this," you know. Um, and so I started out here in Green River, and just you know went from doing like weekends, taking out the trash, and doing religious programming to uh, doing news, and then doing a morning show, and then uh, the guy that did Bridger Valley Sports here for Lyman and Mountain View, he left, and uh, they're like, "Do you want to do play by play?" And I was like, "Sure, well, let's try that." And from the moment, the first game. The very first game, I was like, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Like, it was, yeah. there it is. That's it, you know. Um, and so I was here for a while doing that, went to Riverton, uh, became the sports director up there, and then uh, had the opportunity to come back home here and be around my family. We just had a, our daughter, two, well, she's two now, but we had another one on the way. And so being able to be around family was a big deal. So we're back in Green River and uh, recently had the opportunity to become the sideline reporter for the University of Wyoming. And that's a, that's been a dream. You know what I mean? Like, that was Seven years ago, eight years ago, I put on Facebook, like, I want to be a voice, you know, for the Cowboys or something like that someday. And so here we are, and I got my foot in the door. And uh, I tell you, it's it's more fun than I could have imagined. Yeah. And what does yeah, that entail? Yeah. Are you are you on the sidelines for, for football, basketball? Yeah, sports, so it's, um, it's just football. Um, okay. Very few pl- – actually nowhere for radio would do uh, a sideline reporter for basketball. Uh, television, you see the sideline reporter, yeah. right? And it's, yeah. you know – they don't look like me for yeah. <laughs> for television, right? Uh, and so for uh, for me right now, it's just uh, football sidelines. And um, you know, I, I've said this to a few people that have asked me about the job, or you know, somebody did an interview a little while ago, and it was 
um, how does it feel to be back at the University of Wyoming? And, you know, I played at the University of Wyoming, but I wasn't a player, right? Like I was there. Yeah. I, w- I wanted to wear the brown and gold. I wanted to be a part of that. And, you know, I made a player two here or there, right? But like, I wasn't a guy and I spent a lot of time on the sideline and I had that whole thing kind of drawn short due to an illness um, and had to quit playing college ball. And that took a lot out of me, like as a, like as a human, right? You define yourself as an athlete for a while and then all of a sudden that's taken away. And so to find a way back in to be a part of the Cowboy football program again is, is the most therapeutic, fun, exciting thing that I've ever been a part of. It's, it's really emotional for me just to be back there. Yeah, well, that's pretty special. Um, so I think we probably already know, but just for the listeners, how did you, how did you get involved and, and fall in love with sports? Um, you know, this is an interesting, this is interesting, right? Cause, uh, I can't like you guys, I, you guys, I, I know from listening and watching what you guys do, you guys are true fanatics, right? Of, yes, of the teams sure. that you follow, <laughs> of, of the sports that you follow and you can rattle off, um, you know, statistics you can rattle off you know past players and things like that and that didn't come first nature to me at all right like like growing up and kyle we grew up together man you know what i mean like we right i moved here when i was uh you know fourth grade and and harrison elementary go eagles right um yeah go eagles and and moving here in fourth grade you know like i I played soccer uh didn't play football until i got to seventh grade and didn't really fall in love with the game until i got into high school and so it was all kind of like i was on the outside looking in for a long time in terms of like being a true fan, right? Because it didn't mean anything to me until I started to play the game for football. Um, and then, you know, I was a basketball guy for the longest time. Like if you, if you take me down nineties memory lane in the NBA, that's my stuff right there. Right. Yeah. When the big man was like still it. king and uh, all of that. And then, uh, you know, for football and like uh, sports t- statistics and things like people all the time, they're like, man, I wish I had you on my team for trivia the other night. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know how to do, I know how to do the preparation part to be a broadcaster, right? Yeah. And I know how to do that kind of research to give you the information that's going to be relevant to you uh, at the point in time that it's relevant in the game. And I'll dig for a week to find that one little tidbit. Um, but in terms of like being a true fanatic of the game, um, probably as close as I come is like, uh, you know, like the, the shot put and discus stuff that I told you about. I was really big on that in terms of like, you know, records and distances and all those kinds of things. But no, I think that's amazing. We're going to dive into that a little bit later because I, I got some yeah, questions. My, so my, my love of sports comes from playing them, right? Yeah. And then uh, being a fan of Pittsburgh and stuff like that was just growing up in West Virginia. And then, you know, being in Wyoming, I'm a Cowboys fan. And um, it kind of just happened for me like that, that slowly I found teams or jerseys I liked as a kid. Sometimes that's the way it happens, you know, so. Well, some, some of us are less fortunate, and their dad got to see, you know, the glory years of the Raiders and passed it on to me, and then yeah. I get to see 34 years of nothing but losing, basically. Right. <laughs> right. That's tough. Well, you you, you handle it well, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> it, it teaches me to, you know, laugh through the pain, I guess. <laughs> so <clears throat> you've already kind of talked about how you how you fell in love with sports. Uh, is it still a source of pride being a, a state champion? Oh, sure. Um, you know, like the if you're talking about the football, like the football yes. side of things, um, you know, there's there's a, they, it, it, another broadcaster told me one time with state championships that they just don't hand these things out. Yeah. That it truly has to be something special. And especially for a place, you know, growing up in Green River, like, it's a small school for the the classification that we played in, and you know I'll, I'll get a little then. brief. Yeah, I'll get a little brief from people every once in a while. Like, 
you share a memory from high school football or something like that. And for those people that are like, really? My response to them is you just don't get it. Yeah. You, you sure. don't well, understand the memories, the bonds that are made when, when that kind of stuff happens. It'll last a, li- a lifetime. Well, and I, I always, the people that have that reaction always really get under my skin too, because that, that act, that state championship actually is a super big sore spot for me. Cause I love doing sports growing up. Sure. Um, and then when I hit high school, um, doctors wouldn't sign off on my physicals for my knees. And so, I mean, my playing, I mean, I was never a star or anything, but I love doing it. Um, you know, so my playing days were done. It was awesome seeing you guys win that championship, but it always, always was a bit of a sore spot. I so. Wanted to, so I, I had two things that I wanted to comment on, Kyle, here. First of all, uh, my, my first memory of Kyle Gilmore, okay, was, was moving to Wyoming. And uh, we're at Harrison Elementary School. We're playing down on that little grass field, right? You know, I don't know if this is, what, 25 years ago or something like that. And uh, so it's been playing, a minute. <laughs> yeah, we're playing football down there. And uh, you, know, I, you had you had a Miami Miami Dolphins jersey on it. I don't remember which one it was, um, but we were playing 500. Like we weren't even really playing a real game. And this dude slings it right, and I'm there thinking like, Kyle Kidd's got a cannon. Like I, <laughs> I remember thinking that right. And then uh, it it also stuck out to me too that uh, I have a vivid memory of you. Uh, the week before we played for that state championship, we were outside of the high school, and you you grabbed me and you said. You guys are going to do this. You know what I mean? You're like, you guys are going to do this. Good luck. And I was oh, like, I was pumped. Man. Really cool, I was so you know? excited. I mean, that whole team I basically grew up with. I mean, sure. like you since elementary school or at least middle school. Um, I mean, I have a sense of pride in that championship and I didn't even take place. You know, I didn't even take part in it. So it's a community thing. That makes you know? me happy, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. For yeah. sure. And that's kind of what we're doing with this whole podcast. That's why it was so exciting to have you on because, I mean, we're just some local boys out of podunk wyoming pretending like we know what we're talking about so. I'm proud of it right yeah you're, you're in good company <laughs> <laughs> all right so this one's probably going to be one of the one of the tougher questions and i i guess because of it's related to the football team um it's been a li- little bit of a rough stretch the last couple of years especially with the offense um I, I thought getting rid of vegan might help, but it seems like it's a bull philosophy. So do you feel like being a sideline reporter, do you feel the pressure to always put a positive spin on things or risk losing access to the players or, or coaches? So that's an interesting question. Um, you know what this is a good example of? This is, um, and if this ever sounds like I'm on a soapbox or something like that, it's, it's not meant that way. But um, so I've worked in print and I've worked in broadcast, right? Yeah. And, and the Twitter sphere brings something entirely different to the equation. But um, this is a great example of, uh, and this is my terminology, so don't like, I don't know if it, if, it, if it fits with anybody else, but it's a great example of active media and reactive media, okay? And so when I'm on the sideline, when you're doing a live broadcast, for me, if you're doing uh, play-by-play or if you're doing color commentary or if you're doing sideline reports, your job is to explain to the listener, to the viewer, what is happening. If you're a, if you're a play-by-play guy, yep. if you're a color commentator, you're explaining why what just happened happened, right? And if you're a sideline reporter, you're basically doing a combination of both uh, on the sideline, right? In terms of the, in describing the moods and the feelings, and maybe you catch a little tidbit that you can paraphrase. And so it's active media in the sense that you're talking about what's happening as it's happening. And granted, I do pregame and postgame interviews as the sideline reporter, but those are done, you know, immediately after the game or before the game. 
And so with print media, that's what I kind of refer to as reactive media, right? You have time to sit down and think, and you have the time to sit down and form an opinion, and you're supposed to, right? You're not there to describe the action. You're there to tell them what happened and why you think it happened, right? And so when I'm on... um, when I'm on the the sidelines, right? Like I'm, I consider myself to be a part of you know the Cowboy Sports Network, which you know is the actual name of what we're doing there, the Cowboy Sports Network. And so my job is to do the best job of asking the questions of the coach that I think best portrays what happened in the game. And so certainly, you know, if, if you're doing this at a higher level and you're you know working for a network, but you're not working for your your local broadcast team and you're working at the network network level that changes the equation a little bit right yeah it uh, gives you the right to ask some maybe tougher questions and so i think it would be a disservice to fans if i were to ask those questions that i thought were leading them somewhere and for me it's you know coach what did you think about the game because to me that's what i'm concerned about is how did the coach react to the game or right. how did the players react to the game so i understand what you mean and it's you know um i'm the new guy in the broadcast team i'm the new guy in the locker room and the new guy on the sideline sure. but you ask, you ask the right questions, and you'll get the answers that the listeners want to hear. Fair enough. Yeah, and I, I guess we, we we were very curious about that, just because um, I mean, obviously, we want to talk about UW a little bit with you, especially the football program. Um, so we were just, I mean, you you always wonder how how free you are to um, sure. And hopefully, you know, that doesn't sound like it. I was I was dodging that at all. But it's it, it's no, genuinely how I how I feel about it is if. If you listen to a high school football game or a college football game, and if you're listening to that play-by-play guy for, I, I would I would think that if you could listen for five minutes and not be entirely sure who they were calling that game for, that's a good sign. Yeah, it's 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 being unbiased. That's fair. Yeah, and I think my no, I like my it. question more stemmed from I guess the beat reporter, and that's that's not exactly what you're doing. That's more of the like Josh Criswell, right? Sure, and. Yeah, and that's and those are you know people that make their their living off of asking those tough questions to get yeah. the tough answers, and you know if I've been in that position before and asked those questions and um, you know it's it's a it's, it's you know in news you call that hard news right that would be yeah. hard sports sports reporting, yeah. and there's a lot of guys out there to do a lot of great work like that. Uh, Cody Tucker over at seventy two twenty sports. Uh, if you guys ever reached out to him, I'm sure he'd be glad to hop on the pod with you. But he's he's a great interview. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that I think, you know, different mediums are meant for or in terms of, you know, how you react to the coaches, react to the players. Cool. Any questions you had specifically about the Cowboys before we get to more of these broad reaching ones, Kyle? Um, I don't think so. Um, I mean, that basically covered it. I was, I was kind of curious exactly. I don't know. Um, I guess that's what I was wondering was your approach to the players, but it makes sense, um, you know, based on the level you're at and then kind of, you know, like you said, you, you, you can have the reactive side when you're sitting down putting pen to paper. Right. Um, and one, it makes a lot of sense. One thing I will add to that is um, something that is, is totally lost on. So that like you, uh, one thing about fans, right? Fans don't have to be rational. Like right. that's the nice thing. Never. about And they don't have to be Never. rational. Uh, as a coach, you got to be rational. As a player, you have to be rational. And as a member of the media, I think you should be rational, right? And so, uh, one thing that I, you know, when I was talking to the other, um, some of the athletic staff there, and, and to some of the, the guys that I work with, and I said, you know, one thing that I feel like was lost on the media when I was a player, because I got a lot of media attention as a player, even though I wasn't a big deal, just because I was a Wyoming kid, right? That 
that yeah. got to play at the University of Wyoming. And I was, I think I was the first one there in like three or four years with the coaching change. And I had a lot of media attention. And I, I can tell you for sure that it's lost on the media that I was 18. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and people right. forget about the fact that these are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids, man. And so those tough questions are, um, those are meant for the NFL, maybe yeah. the SEC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably that as well. getting paid, yeah. Right, right. Um, okay. No, so this is maybe more of a fun one, and I, you've only been doing this for, is it? Is this your first season or is this your second season? Oh, this is, I'm, I'm two games deep, man. Okay. This will be week Yeah, you just going. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you can use your your previous Mountain West Conference experience while you were on the team, but what were what was your favorite road stadium to go to? Oh, man. So I, I guess I kind of break it down into to two categories, right? You have the actual feel of the stadium and what the stadium looks like, and then you've got the atmosphere. Yeah. And so the very first game that um, that for me, as a, I played as a true freshman, and that was Urban Meyer's first year at the University of Florida. And let me tell you that I have never experienced anything like that before or since of from the moment you got off the plane, everybody hates you. Right. Oh, sure. And 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 we were down 20 before we walked in the building. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, sure. you know, and, and so you're, you're driving on this bus. They take you the long way through campus, not because that's where the bus driver knows to go, but because <laughs> the police are directing you through campus. Right. And so they drive you around and there's people just everywhere just giving you the clap. Right. Yeah. And, you know, the finger and all this kind of stuff. And then you get into the stadium and there are ninety seven thousand people. Like, think about that. Ninety seven thousand people in one space and they are on top of you and when i tell you that you could not hear the person next to you talking i mean you could not hear the person next to you talking and so that was the coolest atmosphere i've ever been in just because it was like welcome to college football week one right yeah. we're in the swamp you know uh and then in terms of atmosphere um the actual like look of the stadium and things like that. Ole Miss was really cool. There's something about those SEC schools down south, guys. Like they got hedgerows around the field, and uh, you know everything just feels old. And like the tailgate, you walk through the tailgate to get to the field there. They do that on purpose too. But like everyone's in sundresses with belts on, and they got collared shirts, and like they're tailgating like they're going to church. You know what I mean? But it's like a it is church. There. It's totally different, you know. So those and like in the Mountain West. Um, you know, at that point in time, the University of Utah had a brand new stadium, and they're not in the Mount West anymore. But uh, University of Utah, TCU was like that too. They had a beautiful stadium. Um, they're not in the Mount West anymore. But uh, BYU, same thing, like this beautiful yeah. backdrop there. Um, so I'd, I'd probably have to say, though, that, that the University we'll of Utah just Stadium was that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we'll still, it's still a nice fair. area, Bill. All right. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Um, well, while we're while we're talking about college football, um, this is something Bill and I have talked about a lot as far as um, you know the expanded playoff mm-hmm. for college football. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, I mean, obviously the biggest positive is that you kind of the teams can get redundant season to season, right? And this is obviously increasing the chances of upsets and things like that. But um, I mean, basically an overview. Where do you see college football heading in the future, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever? So I guess I have two thoughts on this um, or maybe like two different perspectives on this that um, I can tell you that I as as a former player, um, we are in the minority most of the time 
when it comes to people being excited about players getting paid. Yep. Um, yeah. That's normally in the minority. And for the most part, you hear a lot of, you know, these kids are getting a full ride. What are they complaining about? Those kinds of things. And if you guys want to dive into more, more into that, I'd be happy to, because I got lots of opinions there. Um, but uh, in, in terms of, you know, things getting redundant in, in with the same teams coming back to the playoffs and things like that, um, I, I, the, my response to that, because a lot of this is a hot topic for people to talk about. And in my response to that is like, we've been here for 10 years. We've been here since the BCS days, right? We expand the playoffs, but on any given year, you know, in the BCS, you had maybe six teams that might have vied for competition there realistically, and there was a lot of familiar names there. And the decision-making process there wasn't one that was a true playoff system and brackets and things like that, right? And it was just kind of, you're going here, you're going there. This is the national championship, right? Um, But on any given year, I mean, I'll ask you guys this. How many teams do you really, how far could they go past 12 teams and really have competition? Because my answer is, I think, like, on any given year, maybe 15. And so I think you're always going to have those schools that have become football factories for the NFL uh, that have incredible facilities. And now with the NIL, that has changed the playing field enormously. Uh, And so it has exacerbated that problem of having the same teams back every year. And money is going to have that effect. Um, And same thing with the transfer portal, right? And so I'm on the side of the transfer portal. I'm on the side of the NIL. uh, But it is not perfect and it needs adjusting because it's not sustainable, I think, in the form that it's in. But as as a former player, when I saw that happen, I was like, good for you guys. Do it. You know, that's the way I felt about it. So as far as expanding the playoff, I think it was a great idea. It's going to make a lot more TV money. Um, yeah. And money is everything when it comes to college sports now. It is everything. And so that move was about money, not necessarily about having more competition. Because even if there's a Cinderella team, right, that comes in as that 12 seed and makes it all the way to the national championship, even if they don't win, even if they win, it's the storyline that sells the TV, that sells, you know what I mean, sells the tickets, all that. Yeah. So. Uh, it makes more money, which puts the sport back into the spotlight, and hopefully that leads to good things for the players and the other universities and the conferences, and that money trickles down, right? Because football at the college level right now is is top-down economics, and it has to stay that way, or else, you know, with television rights, it doesn't work any other way. Yep. And does that have you worried for the the Group 5 teams versus the, the Power 5 teams? Do you think the level is going to get even further separated? Yeah, but I don't. I think that separation is coming. From, I don't know that that separation has anything to do with the college football playoff, though. I think that. Well, I, you know, I guess it does because money, right? But well, yeah, but and I, that's it, that's what concerns me is if if money is ruling this all, right? Your smaller schools aren't generating money, so they're going to be relegated. Has been the the term, the buzzword in the in the media right now, right? Um, so if if they're not getting their fair shake to actually get into these games, then they're going to fall off real quick. So Yeah, but so I, I guess I have to ask what the fair shake is, right? And and I what, what I mean part. by that is, like, if you can't put the butts in the seats, if you can't, you know, if you can't create the, the atmosphere to get those players there, then you don't have the money to get those players there. And so if, if you have the ability for schools to leave conferences, like if this is something that is not relegated or is not regulated, excuse me, by the NCAA saying you're going to play here, you're going to play here, you're going to play right. here, when it comes down to the university saying – I'm going to go over here. And then you give the players the opportunity to say, I'm going over there. I think everything falls into place, right? Where you, like I said, you've already had these top 15, top 20 teams for the last eternity, right? Yeah. And you've had a few people break in there and they come in, they come out, they come in, they come out. And so I think what you'll have is, you know, teams that are going to be competitive for a national title. Um, You might see the level of play at some smaller schools start to shrink. 
Um, but I don't know that it's palpable. I don't know that you notice it when you're playing in the Mountain West Conference 10 years from now. Or are you going to be like, man, it was a lot faster 10 years ago? I don't know yeah. if it happened. Well, and, and to your point, I guess it, it's, it's hard being Wyoming fans because, if anything, we have flashes of success and we get spoiled for a season or two. Um, and really, we're more used to the lulls, um, you know, on the grand national scale. So, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the transfer portal, too, because even Bill and I, initially, we had a very negative opinion on the transfer portal because it, on paper, it seemed like all we were going to do is lose our top guys. Right. Um, and one of the things was like, uh, oh, I can't remember his name now, Keelan Cox coming from Alabama. You know, we had him transfer over and it worked the other way around. And A, I never really thought we would get movement, you know, laterally, you know, us actually get players on. But it's kind of changed my opinion on the transfer portal. I I would definitely like to see some more concrete, I guess, regulation on it. But um, right. I don't know. It's I guess I, my, my opinion is softened on it ex- a lot. To the extent, I mean, the NFL, Bill and I are very, very much on the side of the players. I mean, they're, they're, it's also their job. They're trying to make money, things like that. Um, sure. So I would say my opinion softened a lot on the transfer portal. Um, I mean, I guess you've kind of already shared that you're you're a fan of it. Um, were, were you always a fan? Was that your initial reaction or was um, it kind of a process as well? You know, my initial reaction to it um, – my initial reaction to it was that it, it took as long for um, my initial reaction was that it took as long as, as it did for players to start to basically threaten to unionize right in, in college football. And what I mean by that is like, again, being a college athlete is pretty cool, right? Like you're, you have an opportunity to play college football. That's awesome. But what people have to remember is that for 99.9%, and again, I'm pulling a statistic out of the air there like everybody else does, but most people <laughs> don't accurate. want to play at the, at the next level, right? They're coming to college. Uh, a lot of them don't finish. Uh, but the only reason that they are there, they are able to go to school, they are able to get an education is because they were athletically gifted. Yeah. And uh, I think that's lost on a lot of people because all of the hyper-focus that we see in the national media it's on the big schools, right? Where you've got the kids that are there for two years. They come in as full-grown men, as 18-year-olds. Uh, you know, they're Heisman candidates as 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds. And, and then they're, they're going to the league and they're paid, right? And so for everybody else, that's not the case, right? And so there's, there's been some major – and so going back to, like, before the transfer portal changes came, one of the biggest changes that happened for college athletes that, uh, that I was such a huge proponent of is when – players started speaking out about not having money to eat. Okay. And so like when, when you were in a bigger conference, um, you're in a bigger school, I'm guessing that probably wasn't a problem because there's more money, there's more stipend money. Um, So when you're, when you're on scholarship, you're given a stipend and that stipend is to last you three months. Right. And one, you're an 18, 19, 20 year old kid. You're giving a a lump sum of some of money and you're told manage this for three months. Right. You're paying rent out of that. You're paying your bills out of that. You're paying your food out of that. Um, and it was not sustainable because it was not enough money. It wasn't like it just wasn't. And so as a freshman at the University of Wyoming, you're required to have uh, a full meal plan. They give it to you. So you have the card. You can eat whenever you want to. And it was, I mean, every single day, every single day I had an upperclassman coming to me and saying, hey, let me get your card so I can go eat. Right. Because they couldn't afford to eat. You know what I mean? And so that change was a huge change that it was unlimited meals for these athletes that are burning 
5,000 to 7,000 calories a day, you know, like you're, you're eating a truckload every month, you know? And so that was this huge change. And then the ability for athletes to advocate for themselves, to get themselves into or out of situations that they wanted to be in or they didn't want to be in and not pay a penalty for it only seemed fair to me. Um, Because, you know, you're, you're winning and losing games based off of your athletic talent. And while I do agree that there should be some limitations on moving within conference teams, uh, because within conference teams, you have a huge amount of familiarity with your play calling systems, with your defense, with your offense, that you could basically hand over a playbook in your head, right? Even if it's not a, you sure. know, in paper form. And so that's where I stand on that in terms of transfer rules. It's like, if you're outside the conference, I think you should be allowed to go wherever you want to. If you want to go inside the conference, I think you should be allowed to go. Um, but maybe there are stipulations there on, you know, when you play or, and that kind of thing. But for the most part, you know, we've seen some kids that have transferred schools, flourished, and then found, you know, a, a a place in the NFL or they found a place on, on a different team where they probably would not have had that opportunity where they were at. And so I'm just, I'm about equal opportunity for, for student athletes. And I think that created it. And while it's a drag for the fans to, you know, get a great player and lose them, put yourself in that person's shoes. Right. Yeah. And, well, that's, and I love that you say that because I think that's the biggest element that, I mean, you, you already mentioned it. Fans don't have to be rational, um, right. but way too often we look at, and more so on the NFL level, but still even at colleges. Um, I mean, these people aren't real to, to a lot of fans. It's, sure. um, you know, they're, they're the name on the back of the Jersey. They're not a face. So, I mean, <laughs> they're a college kid. Like you said, it's, you, you gotta have that perspective. And I don't know, I, I, like I said, I've softened a lot on it. I'm a lot more optimistic um, on where it can lead and, and, and it being a positive thing for the NCAA, but I guess we'll see see where we're at. Keeping it relevant to the Cowboys, I mean, you have your Isaiah Naors that, you know, he's an absolute monster at wide receiver, and he's not going to be used in Wyoming's offense. Let's just get that out there. So, like, him improving his situation, like, obviously it sucks to lose a player of his caliber, but tough to blame the kid. I think if you talk to the majority of Wyoming fans, that's exactly how they feel. Yeah. You know, and and I know for sure that, in the locker room, it's probably that way too, right? It's yep. like, go get yours, yeah. you know? And by that, he's he's For gone sure. someplace where maybe he can shine, right? Yep. And that's, um, sure. it's, it's opportunity. Yeah, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier in, in saying that you like the NIL um, and, and maybe we could do something different with this scholarship thing. I've always been a proponent of, I mean, these kids are coming they're doing a full-time job and then they're also supposed to be getting an education at the same time, which is another full-time job, mm-hmm. uh, not allowed to work ex- externally. So, you know, you can't get, you can't go out there and get another job to, to supplement your income. Uh, so that's where I, I like the NIL a lot. Um, I feel like this can, you know, pay the kids and, and they're not worried about the money, but if, do you think uh, a possible solution would be, the guys get a scholarship. Doesn't matter when it is, if if they come onto the onto the campus and they're just doing sports, do you think that's a possible solution? And then after they're done playing, then they can essentially utilize that scholarship after the fact. Do you think hmm. that's potentially a solution to that? Where maybe, and I'm not saying you know, communications is is not a good path or something like that. But a lot of these guys are not able to take, you know, advanced chemistry or something like that because well, they don't have the time to do it. Well, and, and I mean, I'm, I could, I could speak on personal experience there. So uh, my dad engineer, 
my brother, chemical engineer, my sister, yeah. chemical engineer, rocket scientist. And then uh, I came in, I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll be an engineer. Nope. Yeah. Uh, I spent <laughs> I spent uh, one month in engineering courses trying to do that and play football. And it was like, nah, that's not going to happen. Like, I, I couldn't Pretty do it. Tough. Wasn't, wasn't, and there are some, you know, I, uh, a guy that I, I played with, his name was Sean Claffey. Um, and, you know, that guy was a 4.0 honor roll student, you know, uh, and was in chemical engineering. I was just like, how, what, you know, how are you doing? And he was a fantastic football player. And so, like, some people are built for it, some aren't. But, um, so I, I guess here's here's my my take on that, right? Um, I I know so many people when or like maybe for you guys, right? Like when you came out of high school and it was, what do you want to be? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Right. And, sure. and and kids that went to college and you start and you take your your basic credits, you know, your prerequisites, and then you get to year three and maybe you pull the trigger on, well, I'm going to go this direction or that direction, right? And I do think there's a lot of that that happens. Um, there's a lot of that happens with athletes because they take the easy route the first two years because it's hard, man. Like yep. it's, it's a full day. Um, and then they do, they do make those turns. They do make those career decisions. Um, and in this, I'm kind of sidetracked here, but also like if, if you finish your collegiate, you know, career in football and you graduate with a communications degree that you don't use, um, there are people that graduate with degrees in history or people that graduate in degrees in social work and those things that they do not use, but you're earning power. You know what I mean? Like, like the data is there. Like you graduate with that bachelor's degree. You may not use it, but your earning power has significantly increased and your earning power because of that bachelor's degree maybe makes a generational change for your family. Like I cannot tell you the number of, of guys that I played with that were first generation college graduates or first generation college attendees, you know? And so in, in terms of like finding their path and things like that, some people find that path after they find a degree that maybe they don't use. And I realize that sounds like throwing it away. But as far as, you know, maybe playing football and doing that full time and then coming back to go, to go to school, I know 99% of the guys on the team would be like, yep, let's do that. Yeah. Uh, but I think you would find way too many that would get <laughs> yeah. done with their football career and then say, you know, I'm going to take a year off. I'm going to fall back on this. I'm going to fall back on that. And so. I think you you would basically end up with an even more semi-pro football league that way where probably a lot of those scholarships aren't taken advantage of. And so I do think having the kids being held accountable for maintaining grades is important because then they are a student athlete and not an athlete, right? And so that's that's what separates being a college athlete from being a professional athlete. And that barrier gets thinner and thinner every year. For sure. No, that makes sense. But I feel like especially the the football program it's already that they're generating all the revenue for all the other sports essentially so i don't know i feel like it's going to say for most schools but, but right <laughs> well and i mean there's a lot of schools that have you know sports programs that don't make any money at all right that that right. are are being funded by you know um you know boosters or yeah. even the taxpayer at some point in time right i mean not not here in wyoming but um and i and you know my answer to that, and, you know, this happens everywhere, right, where you see schools spending money on athletic facilities, you see schools spending money on uniforms or helmets, and this high school all the way up, right? Um, I, I, have, I am not very often a keyboard warrior anymore, gentlemen, but yeah, back in my day, right, like I'd, I'd strap on the helmet <laughs> and go, I'd go at it. Um, when they put in the new Megatron scoreboards and things like that at the University of Wyoming, there was a lot of people that were, you know, why are we spending money on this instead of spending money on things that actually matter in the classroom, you know, whether that was raising salaries to attract better talent in terms of professors, or if that was to uh, build new facilities or like upgrade dorms or things like that. Um, I get it, right? I get it. But there are things that you can learn in high school and middle school 
there are things that you will learn on a football field that you cannot learn in a classroom. And that means slightly less at the collegiate level because you have way less people that are actually playing the collegiate sport, right? But the atmosphere the collegiate sports create is college. That is college to me. And, and for so many people, the ability to go to a game, to go to the stadium, to have those memories of the team winning, the team losing, and, and becoming a fan for life of your, your university, if you don't have sports, who's putting on that Notre Dame pin? You know, yeah, if you don't have right. sports, who's wearing the cowboy hat that you got on, right? Like, it's, it adds an atmosphere to the collegiate experience, whether you're an athlete or a student there or a student athlete. And so that's, I, that's I guess a that's a very point, good right? point. That is a beautiful point, actually. I mean, even for, especially for a UW, I mean, anyone that's attended a game there, I mean, that student section is rocking. It doesn't matter. I mean, it doesn't matter how, how, how much we're winning by or losing by. That student section shows up every every Saturday. Um, Those beer sticks just point. keep getting longer and longer, too. Uh, they, they, I'm trying to find a way to work my sideline reports. I wasn't yeah. quite sure on the first home game, but... Just tell them uh, you got to fit into the atmosphere, so right. keep feeding them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I I do have a question for you. We'll still stick with college football a little bit. Um, I'll try not to to rub it in your face too much, but I got to talk yeah, about yeah. the backyard brawl. Yeah. Um, but the the main thing I want to talk about besides the game, and um, we we kind of alluded to a little bit of regulation out there. Uh, I'm personally kind of tired of the uh, the conference hopping that just continually happens. Um, but really, the biggest thing for me is, I mean, it was an 11-year wait for the backyard brawl. Mm-hmm. Like, that is absurd. Um, I mean, Pitt doesn't always play Penn State. Um, right. I mean, they even have a rivalry with Notre Dame. I'm not saying it should all be, well, the West Virginia one should be every year. <laughs> but... Um, I miss some of that, and the, the conference hopping has done away with some of these rivalry games, and you talk about atmosphere and, and uh, putting butts in the seats. That that backyard brawl set a record for that stadium. I mean, right. that's crazy, you know what I mean? And that's a you know also a professional football team stadium. Right. Um, so I just wanted to get your take on rivalry games, and even, even UW has, you know, a um, a horse in this race. Obviously, we have the boot, which we're we have the luxury of still competing for every year. But um, I just want to get your take on, I guess, rivalry games and what we can do to kind of restore that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'm I'm a little bit of a broken record on this, and, and and not on the sidelines, right? But in in high school sports, doing play by play, right? Um, Every single time there's a rivalry game that I get to broadcast, I say the same thing of, you know, whether it's, you know, from, from you know, Green River High School, welcome folks, as the Rock Springs Tigers enter the Green River Wolves den, you know, and that kind of thing. Because I say it every time, the rivalries are the greatest thing in sports. It does not matter if it is a rivalry between two peewee teams that have been battling back right. and forth for three years. It doesn't matter if it's Lincoln versus Monroe when we were growing up, Kyle. Uh, doesn't right. matter if it was Rock Springs against Green River. It doesn't matter if it's Wyoming CSU or you know Pittsburgh, Baltimore, um, or the Olympic level. Right? There is no finer thing in sports than rivalries because it brings a different level of emotion and history into it, and it's generational. It is generational. For sure. When when you step out onto a field, um, 
you know, like we don't get to see Green River and Rock Springs play football anymore. And it's a tragedy. The Trona Bowl has gone, right? Um, but when, when you stepped out on that field for that Trona Bowl, like you were there with a bunch of people in the crowd that played in that game. And then their dad played in that game and their dad's dad played in that game. And they remember everything about it. And, oh, and yeah, and they're still kids, hot about it. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're ready to talk trash, you know. And so when you lose those things, you lose the heart and soul of an atmosphere that can only be recreated by that rivalry game happening again, right? You remember where you were. Right. You remember the score. You remember the feeling of winning. You remember the feeling of losing. And so it's a huge problem. And, you know, at the high school level, it comes down to ADM numbers. You know, how many kids are in your school, right, right is what it comes down to there. So, like, that's different. But at the collegiate level, um, for me growing up here in Green River, I thought Wyoming's rival for most of my life was BYU. Right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because that was, you know, all the kids were BYU <laughs> fans, you know. And so, like, yeah. I seriously, I, I went to, to the University of Wyoming and I was like, what is this CSU business? Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you guys talking about, you know? Uh, and yeah. then to become a part of that rivalry with the boot was like, no, man. That was the most important game of the year every year was that boot. Everybody and, circles that sucker. Yeah, right. And so it's, it's a huge problem because it does come down to money. And if corporations that are, you know, um, you know in, in charge of television rights or corporations that are selling sponsorship for bowl games and things like that, that's what it all comes down to. And I get it, right? Because the more money that's there, then the more money there is for that school that's involved with it. And so... It's, it's a problem that I don't really have an answer for other than maybe inside of conferences saying that, um, you know, because they schedule football games out 25 years sometimes, right? And you can cancel yeah. them and pay penalties and that sort of thing. Um, but I think that comes down to basically both of the schools that are involved in the rivalry have to make it have to want to make it work because right. you can play outside of your conference. You get, you know, X amount of non-conference games every single year. And so it has to make sense for the schools and they have to believe that it's worth, you know, the time, the money uh, to keep it happening. And, and we're lucky in Wyoming because I don't ever see CSU in Wyoming going away. I don't right. think that goes anywhere. We're, but, we're pretty secure there. Yeah, but it is a huge problem. And like you said, waiting for the backyard ball. I mean, man, like the, the suspense of that did not go my way. Did not go my way. But what a game. I, what a game. I will say that regardless of outcome, that was probably – Probably the most fun I've had watching a football game in at least seasons. Sure. Um, I mean, it, the way it started out, I was terrified. I thought we were going to get steamrolled. And then, obviously, it shifted over the re- remaining of the game. But It had everything. I mean, I just – it was horrible but wonderful at the same time. <laughs> yeah. um, the one thing that I maybe thought, and I know it – I can see the downside of it. So take like a pit in a West Virginia. Um, I mean, I think that would be an absolutely amazing week zero game. You know, every, mm-hmm. people, teams have them all the time. Wyoming was just in one um, a couple weeks we ago. So talk about it. Didn't go very well. Yeah, not super folks <laughs> talk about it. But um, I mean, I understand also the downside of it. You know, these guys are not always wanting to start on that note. Um, you know, if you if you have a rivalry game and you're one of these top teams and say you lose, well, I mean, you may have just shot your entire, sure. you know, rankings, blah, blah, blah. I get all that, but I, I don't know what the answer is. I just know that, I mean, I, I couldn't help but sit there watching that game, wondering, not wondering, wishing that I could have seen a backyard brawl with Kenny Pickett. I right. mean, you have all these these players that have come through on both sides. I mean, West Virginia right. too. Like, you never got to see this, and it's right. – 
I just eleven years is ridiculous. I don't I don't know what the answer is. I just somebody needs to figure it out. Yeah, it's you'd almost have to and, and again I don't know that it's feasible too, right? Because you are playing for championships is what it comes down to. Like rivalries are important, but you're playing for championships. And so whether that's a conference championship or you know, divisions where whatever sport you're in, like you're playing for that title, right? Like that's the end goal. And so those preseason games or those zero week games or you know, the non conference schedule matter, but they don't until you get to the second half of the season and you're playing for your conference record, right? Um, yeah. And so I don't know, like maybe you could do something like scoot non-conference games to the end of the season or something like that, but then you're worried about injuries and things like that heading into the conference championships. And it's a, it's one of the, it's, uh, I feel about it the same way I do about the transfer portal and the NIL, that it's imperfect and it's a problem, but I have no idea how to fix it. Yeah. Right. I know the answer is not waiting 11 years to play a rivalry game, though. Right. I mean, I was looking at the history yeah. of that, and it was, I think they had four years off since like 1801 or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. not that far. Well, not that far back. Well, 1895. It, my and thing is, is you look at some of the importance of those games. Yeah. Um, I mean, when, when Dave Onstad led that, led Pitt and, I mean, trashed their record, I mean, that was so big. That was huge mm-hmm. um, on top of a rivalry game. You know, I mean, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but Pitt was ranked 17. You guys were unranked. Right. Um, if you had come in and won that game, I mean, that's so big. Um, I so don't know. They, I, the history is why I love yeah. college football. Right. Right. So. You All got right. anything else for college football, Bill? Uh, yeah, but we'll, we'll move on. We'll we might on. have to have you back on, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm long-winded. Sorry, fellas. Me, uh, me and Bill ramble enough, uh, just the two of us, so it's fun <laughs> having a third. Um, I wanted to talk to you. You mentioned that you're also a fan of Duke. Um, I went ahead and assumed I'm that guy. I assumed it was basketball. Correct. Um, just because, obviously, it's Duke. But right. um, you, you mentioned being into basketball and soccer early on, but uh, what brought you into Duke? Was it just those – you know, them nineties teams. Yeah, it was, it was Grant Hill, right? Like that was, um, that was, that was it for me. It was Grant Hill. And then, you know, I mean, uh, storied programs are easy to be fans of because there's so much history. There's so much video, uh, and there's so much storyline for you to take hold of and run with. Right. And so, um, in the days before every conference had their own television network in the days before (laughs) you could stream every game, um, you know, I don't, I'm, it's, this isn't like a back in my day thing, right? Because we grew up with cable, you know, yeah. or satellite television. Right. But, you know, the people that grew up with network broadcast of CBS, ABC, and you know, NBC, and they grew up with those, like, you were watching whatever game was on and it was going to be Notre Dame, right? You know, like you didn't have a right. choice. And so, uh, you know, growing up with cable TV is like, I saw a lot of Duke games, you know, and um, they were always Grant on. Hill, right. Grant ESPN Hill was. Darlings. Yeah. Grant Hill was the guy that was like, um, you know, I thought he was. I, like, I thought he was this perfect mix of, you know, a, a small forward that could, you know, uh, handle the ball. He could bring it down the court. You know, he had an outside game. He was strong in the post. Uh, it reminded me a lot of, like, um, I don't know, kind of like Scottie Pippen and guys like that. You know, and I just had a lot of fun watching him play. And, and then he got injured and, you know, in, in the NBA. But, like, the storylines that develop in March Madness are what made me a fan of Duke. And so March Madness is its own thing. You know, you cannot give a, you know, a single – Piece, you know, you, like your whole life, you could, you could not care about college basketball, and you catch Cinderella and March yeah. Madness, and all of a sudden you're a fan, right? Yep. And so oh, with yeah. Duke, it was it was the storyline of Coach K, and then all those teams on Tobacco Road, like 
that's just such a wild, you know, you think of the players yeah. that went through North Carolina, the rivalry games that take place between Duke and North Carolina. And you want to be a part of that because you want to experience the rivalry and experience the wins and not the losses. But, uh, you know, it was just like at a young age, like a basketball fan. Yeah. yeah. It was easy to be a fan. I, I got to answer one thing because I, I love that you love Grant Hill. He's, I'm not saying as far as one of the greatest, but he's in like my top 10 all time. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, I don't know if you caught, we talked about this, uh, I don't know how many episodes ago, but did you see the Pistons are bringing back those Yeah, knees? the jerseys. <laughs> they are I, yeah. beautiful. I am so excited. Yeah, the, um, the teal ones, right, they're bringing those back? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that when I see that jersey, Grant Hill is, that's who, that's oh, who that one. jersey is for me. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. Uh, I just, I had to bring that up, but. <laughs> well, don't get mad at me, but I was always cheering for the uh, other team in that rivalry. I oh, mean, yeah? I, I wouldn't say I'm a North Carolina fan, but I, I caught into the mystique, and I guess yeah. I've always been a fan of the underdog, and I'm mean, sure. sure when they had, you know, they both had pretty good stretches there, but Duke was always the, the favorite one, I feel like, in, in most of those matchups, so. Well, Duke is, I mean, they were the Alabama of college basketball. Um, I mean, if they weren't the favorite, you were watching the wrong program. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, they just, Coach K just put together some crazy stuff. Right. That's all I got for for basketball. For me, it's basically been reduced to a... March Madness type sport, so you got one month of the season where everyone pays attention. Sure, I'm excited to see what Wyoming does with with their all the transfers they have coming in this season. But I mean, even then, it's it's not like they're on every day they they play, so it's still right. tough to watch. So watch. I'm going to tell you guys right. Watch Cowboy basketball this year. Yes, I'm excited. It's oh, it's going to be it's We're a thing. Pumped. It's a thing. Is, is there a way? And and maybe you can plug this too because i never get to see you on the cowboys broadcast it's always you know big 10 network or whatever so is right. there a way to watch these games where you get the local programming um you know some of the games there's uh, there's been a big push towards video streaming through uh the mountain west conference um with uh, i believe it's called the stadium uh is what it's called and so each school basically has its own uh streaming operation right and i've been been able to do a couple of broadcasts as as a uh, play-by-play guy for the streaming platforms at the University of Wyoming. I did the uh, uh, the most recent one I did was a the Cowgirls opener against the University of Denver basketball, where they got their Mountain West trophy, and that was pretty cool uh, to get them see you know get their trophies and their rings, and it was pretty sweet. That's awesome. But um, yeah, there if if you go to uh, um, uh, GoYO.com, there's something called Vision on there. And okay. um, that's if there is a video stream, you'll find it there. It's not all the time, but it, if, if there's television yeah. rights, that changes things. Cool. I think we're actually televised this week, aren't we? I don't know. For uh, yep. football? Yep. Dang, we're killing it. Twice right. in one season already. <laughs> Watch a, lots of television stations these days. <laughs> all right. I think we are finally moving on from college. It's a, it's a hot topic. Um this one I'm excited to talk to you about. Um, you alluded to it with your, um, you know, your initial memory. I grew up obviously a Dolphins fan. Um, handful of years back, my wife, her whole family's diehard fans. Uh, I was I was converted 
um, after a, my wife took me to a Penguins game, my first one actually there. I've been to a ton in Denver, but so I am, I am on the same side. So I got to get some some of your opinions because I'm the only one rambling about them most of the time on here. So, um, <laughs> All right, shoot. to start with, I mean the the elephant in the room is the the, the Trubisky picket you want to call it a competition um i think we all knew trubisky was going to start but i just want to hear your opinions on both of them and what you think we're going to get out of both of them uh so as a steelers fan it's i don't know i go back to being rational unrational right as a fan uh as a steeler fan i have to remind myself how lucky i've been as as a steelers fan right that basically in my adult life we haven't had a losing season you know what i mean like that's that's wild right uh, yeah. And then uh, to be lucky enough to have the uh, stability at head coach, I think it's been a big deal. Um, big time. I mean, the, the, what what the Steelers have had like three head coaches in the last like I don't even know what it is like fifty years or something. Like it's it's, it's well, and, and it's three big names too. I yeah. mean, you don't have to be a fan of the Steelers to know right. those three coaches with Super Bowls attached to them. You know. Yeah. And so, right. like, I'm lucky enough to have you know Super Bowls one in my lifetime. You know, some people don't have that, right? Uh, but having a change like that at quarterback, because, I mean, it's, you know, Big Ben was, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? Like, that doesn't roll out of the draft every every day or every year. Uh, and then, you know, the curse of, you know, if you can, again, we're lucky to be Steelers fans, but, like, the curse of being a Steelers fan is you're never getting a good draft pick, right? Like, you're going to yeah. be middle of the pack, middle bottom of the pack. You're a playoff team every year. Um, with the, the trading and dealings that went off uh, went on in the offseason with the NFL, uh, the Steelers were kind of like overshadowed by the media with, you know, what's going on in, in, in uh, Cleveland and, uh, you know, Tom Brady and all that kind of stuff. Right. But I, I like the fact that they're going to put the veteran at quarterback. And I don't mean Mason Rudolph. Right. Like Mason Rudolph knows who Mason Rudolph is. Right. And, and so yeah. do we. and so Trubisky is, you know, maybe he is the guy, Kyle. I don't know. Like maybe he is the guy. But I think, you know, if if you put in the young gun. And ask him to sling it out there, and then you know he gets picked apart by NFL defenses, right? Like that's something that could totally yeah. happen. It happened to you know look at Josh Allen and who he is right now. His first couple of seasons were kind of rough, you know, like he was exciting oh, for sure, you know, but like you know he was throwing picks, man, left and right. And so for for him to make those adjustments took a couple of years, you know, and and it worked out obviously fantastic for him. You know, he's he's leading yeah. MVP voting, and I'm not saying that you know this is the next Josh Allen or anything, but. Uh, you put the, the, you know, the seasoned guy in there that's seen the NFL, he's seen the speed, he's seen some of these players. Uh, he's led a team before, you know, at, at the NFL level. And if, you know, Pickett comes up and he's, he's a guy that uh, can take those reins, then he earns it during the season, right? And that might be at the expense of Trubitsky in terms of, like, if he's going to get roughed up, get injured, or he's throwing, you know, a bunch of picks or something like that. I don't know. But I like the idea of protecting your first-round draft pick, you know, or protecting your guy that you bring in, you know. And so for for the Steelers to spin picks early on offense like that, I always hold my breath. But they develop so well at the skills positions, right? Like, they develop receivers so well in, in camp uh, and bring them up through the system, and they, they end up on other teams scoring touchdowns sometimes, right? But um, I like the move. I, I think protecting the young gun is important in, in his his first. And maybe you saw this happen in Miami, right? With uh, right. with Tua, you know, he, he came over and yeah. you know six seven games or something like that. They benched the the Fitz Magic, right? And so that's there's there's a there's a roadmap for it, I think. Or or their wide receivers end up on the Raiders and and not actually playing. You guys get draft picks and then they get cut. 
Man, there has been some all-time Raiders things that have happened in the last 12 months. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how many times I've said that, that that is the most Raiders thing ever that just happened. And then, like, two weeks later, I'm like, that's the most Raiders thing that's just, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's why said, I say I'm lucky to be a Steelers fan. Yes. You've had a Super Bowl since you've been alive. I have not. So, it's, right. uh, I mean, we've, we've been to one, but looks like Kyle just dropped off. There we go. Um, the sound cut out. Um I'm actually, unless I missed anything there in the end, um, I'm actually really pumped to hear that because, I mean, you made a mention about, you know, the Twitterverse being a, another monster. Um, it, 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 me and Bill have talked about it a lot on here, and just like you said, that, you know, Steelers fans are one of the most spoiled and really just Pittsburgh fans in general outside of the Pirates, but um, <laughs> it's such a spoiled fan base that um, – I love hearing that because I, I'm of the same opinion. Um, people forget Trubisky. I mean, he was a Pro Bowl selection in 2018. Um, right. <laughs> he survived that Chicago Bears team. Um, yeah. He had nobody. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm at least of the opinion, let's give the guy a shot and see what he does. Um, as far as Pickett for me, um, obviously I loved watching him with Pitt, but um, – the most common uh, comparison I hear for him is Joe Burrow. And if that is even half true, um, I mean, I'll take it. Right. Yeah, that's, <laughs> guy that's can not play. a bad comparison. Um, but, but I love your point about the rookie because, again, we're playing them week one. You know, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a horrible, horrible, horrible starting game yep. for a, a suspect O-line with a rookie quarterback. So, yep. um, Just go after I don't know. Apple every time. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Don't get me started. Um, on that note, we're talking about the offensive line. Um, I, I wanted to – I just saw something today, actually. T.J. Watt just renegotiated his contract to open up another 6.5 mil. In my mind, you know, my, my eyes flashed immediately, and I'm really hoping that is to pick up one of these free agent linemen that are still available. Um, yeah. What do you think about the offensive line? Because I'm – I'm a little terrified. I think we can make do because we did last year. Right. Um, the, the I don't scariest, know. What are your thoughts? The scariest thing is depth, right? Like you're yeah. at, at that position, you're going to have injuries that, that – and like losing that, you know, it, it's, an, it's a unit, right? An offensive line is a unit, right? And so you've got five guys out there and you probably have seven total that are probably seeing reps during an NFL game because um, you're not going to swap that most of the time. You know what I mean? You're not going to swap that center out during the game your left tackle is going to be your left tackle, right? But you might have power packages that come in, left guard, right guard, things like that, uh, depending on, uh, you know, which one of those crazy cards they got up in the air, right? So you might have seven guys. And then most of the time your your seventh guy is somebody that can float between all three of those interior positions, right? Most of the time guard doesn't go to tackle, but guard, left guard is the same thing, and they can play some center, right? They can take some snaps. Uh, and so the scariest thing to me is depth, right? So if you can maintain – that offensive line through the preseason, if you can maintain your starting five offensive line, uh, you know, first first couple of weeks of the season, if you maintain that group, whether they're pro bowlers, whether they're rookies, whether they're journeymen that have come in, I think that sets the tone for the rest of the season because if they can accomplish their job as a unit for those first couple of weeks, five, six weeks into the season before somebody gets hurt, you've given the rest of the offense a chance to click. You've given the quarterback a chance to develop and who he's, he's going to be that season or how the new playbook is going to work, things like that, because he's not getting creamed, right? Or the running backs aren't sure. you know, bouncing everything outside because there's no holes in the middle. And so whatever they do, again, six and a half million, six and a half million, right? 
Um, you know, if all of that goes into, you know, bringing in a journeyman lineman that's, you know, an experienced guy that's got some snaps for the last five or 10 years, great. Um, I don't think you can invest your money in any better place at this point in time in terms of, you know, free agency deals and where you're headed in the season yeah. is, you know, get some depth on the line. How long does it, it take a lineman to, to get up to speed? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I'd be I'd be speaking out of turn if I said I knew anything about what, you know, NFL linemen are like going from team to team, right? But, you know, it's it's terminology is probably the biggest thing that, that it comes down to um, because, you know, an A-gap is an A-gap and a B-gap, but a one, yeah. a two, a three, a five, all those kind of things. Um, but I cannot stress to you enough how much more complex playing on the line is than people assume uh, compared to, you know, it, it's two big dudes across from each other, right? Which is right. the crux of it, right? <laughs> Um, but, but, uh, when, especially nowadays, yeah, exactly. And, 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 uh, so like when you're playing, you know, guard tackle, guard center, those kinds of things, um, you know, they're spending the entire week looking at film saying, do you see this tell in this guy? Uh, we played against this guy last year. He did this. He was on this team. He did that. Watch this. Look at this. This play is similar to our play, those kinds of things. And so, um, yeah, a dive is a dive and a sweep is a sweep, but learning those terminologies and then it's a dance man with that guy next to you on either side of you, whatever it is, you have to know what they're going to do and how they're going to react to a blitz, uh, who they're going to pick up, which way they're going to turn. How fast are they? Right. Like, you know, and those kinds of things. So, and you, and you can only see that at game speed. You can only see that at game speed. And that's true. Whether you're again, all the way down in the middle school level to the NFL, you cannot replicate game speed in practice because if those guys were capable of game speed, They'd be playing for a different team on the on the on the ones, right? And so you've got to see it at game speed. So weeks, you know, to make that happen. Yeah, and that's the reason I ask is because the Raiders are in a similar similar situation with their offensive line. It's a, a bunch sure. of journeymen, a couple of young guys. Uh, the only established player we really have on the offensive line is Colton Miller at left tackle. Uh, the rest is pretty unsettled. So. Uh, there's plenty of guys out there on the market right now that I've had my eye on that I I know are at Leave least them competent alone, offensive linemen. But realistically, I was I was curious, you know, how long is it going to take if we if we sign them now? Is it going to be week four before the right. yeah, patience? Patience from the play caller, I think, is important too. Right from the offensive coordinator, you're not going to open up, you know, a 300 page uh, page playbook with a guy that's been in camp for two weeks. You know, like yeah, that's just it's not going to happen, and so keeping uh, expectations, you know, managed for how much of that playbook you're going to be able to use and when you're going to be able to use it. I think the offensive coordinator and the offensive line coach and, you know, how they work together. And, and again, like most of the NFL zone block stuff anyway, but um, the ability to kind of ease themselves into situations and, you know, walk before you run is, is an enormous part of that at any level. Yeah. Well, I mean, all we have coming up is Joey Bosa and uh, Khalil Mack. So. <laughs> No big deal. deal. (laughs) Khalil will love to be in that backfield. Um, The last thing I got for you, Steelers-wise, just who's somebody that you're excited about, maybe new face um, or somebody that stepped up? Um, I mean, I I have mine. I'll give to you after you're done. But I'm just curious who you got your eye on. Uh, Oh, man, I just – who's – Kyle, I can't pronounce his last name, the new tight end. Um, Friarmouth? Starts out of the draft season. last year. Yeah, is that what Pat, it is? Pat Fryermuth. No, That's my boy. <laughs> it's, it, and we so in the second round, we we have this long history in in Steelers country of having a, a a tight end that you know is a crowd favorite, right? 
And we've yeah. kind of been missing that for like the last two or three years in terms of somebody that's just been an impact player, you know? And so I think I'm excited about that dynamic because you've got Trubitsky, right? But anytime right. you've got a new guy in the offense that's, you know, a new quarterback in the offense, you're doing a lot of check downs, right? And you're playing over the top. For sure. Uh, you're playing that short game. And so I think, like, I think that resurgence of like the short passing game and the flats with the running backs and the tight ends uh, is where the new Steelers offense is going to have to come from for a little while because you don't have big sure. in back there shrugging off D tackles like they're feathers standing around to throw yeah. a deep ball to some guy that runs a 4 1 40. You know, like that's, that's not going to be the case for a little while. And then, uh, you know, in terms of like, like, um, I, he's not a new addition by any means, man, but watching TJ Watt become TJ Watt, what a ride, man. Like to get the to, to see him real. live up to the hype and the last name and, uh, you know, that, that all time sacks, sacks record and things like that. And a single, like, it's just a, uh, being a Steelers fan is being a fan of good defense. And he is right. the epitome of what Steelers defense is. And so like, he's, well, he's my guy right now, you know, I love it. My wife's too, but. I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> the one thing I'll say about him, and I mean, you can get me on my soapbox with these guys, but I don't think there's a single player in the league, maybe barring quarterbacks, that is as impactful as he is at his position. Oh, sure. The man is just unreal. Um, I mean, you, there's nothing you can say about him other than he's just unreal, and he still is underrated. Right. He continually gets, you know, lower, I guess, respect than I in my opinion he deserves obviously I'm biased but um back to back to Fryermuth. I gotta I gotta tell you about this guy so I was high on him coming out of Penn State I was super pumped about him because he I forgot he was his big like thing that. was he'd never dropped a um single pass in the in the red zone his entire career there so I was super pumped about him um but to your to your tight end comment obviously that is a Heath reference um, Heath. you know that the Heath. fandom is just yeah to die for for Heath. Um, I went to two games last year, and the first game was against the the Bengals early on. And I'm not saying I started it because I know I didn't, but <laughs> the, I, I led a lot of Muth chants. And yeah. you know, you'd get people involved, and obviously, I mean, you made a note of it. We're fanatics. I absolutely live and breathe this stuff. So. After, as the season went on, seeing people get behind him, and now he's you know a top twenty tight end in the league, and he's getting all these accolades. But that second game against the Titans, um, that stadium was one big mooth every time that boy touched the ball. Um, so I love that you're I love that you're pumped about him because yeah. I'm super excited about yeah, him. Yeah, well. he he fits the mold right for for sure you know, for sure for the Steelers. Like there's they they keep repeating things. You know, the, they, they have classes of players that they go after, and it just works. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's a, uh, especially on, on the offensive side of the ball. So, that's for I sure. And I'm optimistic. I, I always go back to Paul Malu's Hall of Fame speech because, A, it was gold. Obviously, he's one of the best ever. Um, but that whole idea of a Steeler player, they really do buy into it. Yep. You know, right, wrong, or indifferent, they're going to stick to their plan. Um, you know, Tomlin drives people crazy, which is why I love him. But um, Tomlin press yeah. conferences are a thing of beauty. They're, they're, uh, he's just his eyes are super big, and he's just like, say something. You know what I mean? Like he's he's great about that. This last one about the the, the QB depth chart is probably one of my favorites. I, we yeah. will let you know at our leisure. That is my favorite <laughs> line that I think I've heard in years. Yeah, right. um, 
uh, I'm last say thing. Never, but never. That's my favorite. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> Um, the last thing I'll say about him, the guy that I'm pretty pumped about, um, is George Pickens. Hmm. Uh, I think he was the best pick out of the entire draft, and not because he went to the Steelers. Um, you know, the injury and him dropping, that dude, watching him in the preseason, the fight that is in that, the dog that is in him on offense, mm-hmm. it takes me back to Heinz Ward days. He is, I mean, they're running to the other side. And he's right. dropping his, you know, his DB to the ground. Right. It's and a loving it. <laughs> yeah, and again, that's it, like it's the, a mentality. Yeah, exactly. And that fits like the Steelers fan base. You know what I mean? For that's sure. a um, win or lose, you get to see something like that happen, and it's exciting, right? You know. Um, yeah, yeah. That, I totally agree with you. The I, I every single year there'll be another name on the Pittsburgh Steelers depth chart that I had no idea that we drafted. And every year sure. that that player becomes some sort of impact by the end of the year. And that's, again, like, I just, I'm lucky to be a Steelers fan. I, I, oh, I grew up, sure. you know, 45 minutes from the, the Pennsylvania border. And so that's why I'm a Pittsburgh fan. You know, like I was, that's everybody there was, I still remember Neil O'Donnell, you know, Pittsburgh's going to the Super Bowl song playing on the radio, right? For and sure. So, <laughs> um, it still does. They just change the yeah, names. <laughs> right. So, and, and, and but, uh, you know, back to that point, it's just, you, you know, that the, just like the whole organization takes care of business and that's why they're perennially, you know, maybe not a, a favorite, but they're good every year, you know, and that's for sure. Some people aren't that lucky, well, you know, Bill and I have talked about it. There's certain organizations, you know, I, I think of, uh, until maybe recent, recent years, but you know, a green Bay, uh, a Pittsburgh, they've always handled their business. I always want to say in a classy way, because the Roonies are, class acts mm-hmm. um I, just, I like that i like that about a franchise um you know even baltimore as much as i hate to say it they have that same identity that same identity is a great way to put it yeah 